How to be an artist. Step 34. Show them what they can't see. With guest, Jason Young. Jason Young. (laughs) Welcome to How to Be an Artist. Welcome back to How to Be an Artist. Second time. Second time. You you hold you held up one finger when you said second time. Second time, I, second I meant to do two. <laughs> it's better this way. Yeah, last time we didn't have video, so this is going to be more interesting. I'm already so, uh, twice as sweaty as last time. Three times I, as pretentious. I know. I can see. I can see the the sweat beads on the oh, no. HD camera. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Yeah. This kidding. is an Mac MacBook Air, uh, high quality camera. <laughs> Um, how's it going? Um, yeah, pretty good. And it's also, I mean, there's been a lot of COVID stuff. And so, uh, I mean, we, uh, our normal way of hanging out has usually been, you know, going to the coffee shop and, uh, and hanging out. We talked a bunch about that in the last episode about kind of how, how, um, blue copper was, was trying to survive. Yeah. And I know they, you could like do, you could basically do like drive up, drive up and order something during the pandemic, but it's, it's back like the actual physical space is open now again, right? Both, yeah, both we're, locations. we're all open inside. We're running like really limited hours. Uh, oh, I, really? I actually, I can't say for certain why that is. I mean, like, I, I think it's just one big reason is just staffing. I think it's really hard to find people who want to work right now. Yeah. And uh, so, so we're kind of running, running, just eight hour days, um, like eight to three. Did you lose, did you lose some people over, over the whole thing? Um, it's hard to say we lost them. We're not missing them. We, (laughs) (laughs) um, we, we laid off two people Uh, at our store, um, who one of them actually we brought back and they worked for like a week again or something. And then they just decided like, I'm going a different direction with my life. So we, and then the other one, actually, I think we might, maybe we didn't lose anyone. I, I saw them working at the other store just the other day. So, so everyone that uh, we lost has done some work for us still. Everyone's in good. We're all, we're all friends still. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> you stuck around. You stuck around long enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, we like it's crazy how good of retention we've had through the coronavirus. We were closed mm. for three months, and then, uh, like you said, we were doing like kind of like drive up window service type thing for over a year, I think. Yeah, and then uh, just recently we've been doing um, come in and get a coffee service and sit down service, and um, which. To me, like it coincided with us being fully vaccinated. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like we, at first, like when we shut down originally, it was all just because of concern of our own health. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, like we didn't want to be a part of the problem either, like spreading, you know, like having people share the same space or anything. Mm-hmm. But at this point, like, uh, and maybe this is, I don't think this is that controversial. This is going to get the podcast demonetized. <laughs> um, no, I've, but like, I've, I've been able to already successfully demonetize the podcast by making oh. it the having absolutely like no concern for any sort of demographic at all with, <laughs> with the podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> There's just like uh, the pennies that roll in oh, there. Yeah. Like nobody's worried about <laughs> yeah. uh, taking away absolutely from you. Absolutely no one is worried about what I say on this podcast. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Oh. 
but uh well so, so like but it's just at this point like you could go to costco and get a shot today of mm. the vaccine yeah so in my opinion it's kind of on you if you don't want to be safe from the coronavirus at this point yeah i don't know how do you feel about that or do you not want to weigh in uh no i mean I'll, I'll talk about that i mean i was gonna ask you the very same question but just about i mean there's there's definitely still some really strong feelings about the vaccine some people yeah. are still really, really get really upset um, that other people aren't getting vaccinated. So my yeah. general, my overall feeling is like, I don't want to be dogmatic about, about like my approach to it because it's not mm -hmm. going to change anyone's opinion either way. Like yeah. if I'm shaming someone for not wanting to get vaccinated, like that's going to accomplish nothing. You know, I kind of feel like, I, so. I feel like it makes, it makes sense for me. I want, like, I got vaccinated. My wife's been vaccinated. We still need to get our daughter, our daughter's 12. And so we've been meaning to get her vaccinated, but we haven't done that yet. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, it's, I feel like it's kind of that place right now where it's like, it seems like it's mostly affecting those who choose not to get vaccinated. It's, it's not as much, there was more of, of, of a feeling in the midst of things, particularly like last fall where it's like, okay, I, I'm, I can potentially give it to someone else. Like that was more of a concern then. Yeah. So it's just less of a concern now. And even there's been a little bit of a rise in cases like locally, but the death rate hasn't really, I just looked at this yesterday. The death rate hasn't really yeah. changed that much. So um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I feel. Um, yeah. I think we're basically in the same camp. Yeah. Um, like I am definitely not judgmental. Like uh, uh, I was saying to you before, like I, I feel like I had more severe side effects from the hmm. vaccine than plenty of people I heard. Yeah. And I was still happy to get it and I would get it again unless I don't have to get another one, then I won't. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Because it just like, uh, it seems, yeah. Cause it seems like people who have been to me, at least looking at, uh, minor data, it seems like people who get the vaccine aren't hospitalized, which again was my major concern. Yeah. And so, uh, since I didn't need, uh, hospitalization after getting the vaccine, any side effects are better than that. So, yeah, you're, you're what you're saying is basically if you get the vaccine, even if some, the vaccines may vary a little bit in how much they actually prevent covid but all of them are super effective at preventing like hospitalization if i remember correctly. yeah Which, or that's de the, and death and, death. and yeah, that's yeah. the main thing i mean if you can, to me yeah yeah well i think yeah. not I not dying is also high priority to me that's you probably <laughs> assume that's <laughs> yeah most people are thinking about that um so yeah when we were talking before um we started um you're talking a little bit about um, some of some of your like psychedelic experiences, which I guess this happened oh, yeah. during COVID, right? Yeah, d like we just more free time than usual. There's yeah. more. Well, yeah, yeah. Psychedelic, yeah, yeah. Which is Please. it's always it's always like everyone always wants to talk about psychedelics and hear about psychedelics. It's like it's I don't know. I feel like with the podcast, uh, really, what I, sh I should have done, I should have done a long time ago. And I probably should still do is like do an episode that's just talking to someone about psychedelics. Cause that's like kind of seems like that's guaranteed gold for any, any podcast is, is having that discussion at some point. So, but we'll, we should have talked about this before we got you demonetized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, too late. I know now it's going to do me no good. 
I've been stripped yeah. of my riches. Do you do you have like a friend in the back of your head that's like a expert or anything or just uh, what? Wh- yeah. You know, I actually have I have a few people in mind that I'm interested in talking to about psychedelics. And the people I want to talk to about it are are all people that have like a lot of experience with meditation too. Yeah. Because I'm really interested. I think that there's a there's an overlap with meditation and psychedelics in some sense. And I'm and I'm yeah. I'm really curious I'm, I'm specifically curious in talking to people that have, have chosen to do both um, mm-hmm. and kind of understanding like why, like what do you get? What's, what are the, the um, unique benefits you get from each of those things? Um, yeah. Cause kind of one of the things that happened to me is that I was very interested in psychedelics um, until I, I started doing meditation. I had kind of my peak experience with meditation um, that kind of really changed things for me. And after that point, I just, I lost a lot of interest in psychedelics. Um, and I've been more curious again since then. It doesn't feel as before there was more, felt more of this like existential urgency. Like there was something in my life that just wasn't right. And I, I felt like I needed to do psychedelics to like fix that, to like fix that or resolve that or, or open up, I don't know, make, get me out of some sort of like pattern or cycle that I was in. Um, and meditation kind of did that for me. And so I don't have that same existential urgency about, about doing psychedelics. I also, I mentioned this briefly, this briefly too before, and I've mentioned this on the podcast. Um, so I won't go into too much detail on it, but last summer when I was kind of in the midst of like, you know, doing heavy meditation and I was starting to have like some negative side effects from meditation like one day for unrelated reasons, unrelated to meditation, I decided to do like a, a microdose like of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And I've done, I've done like, I've microdosed a ton in the past, like not a ton, but I've, I've done yeah. it enough. And actually I was super responsible. I've been super responsible about it. Every time I microdosed, I would keep like a log mm-hmm. and, you know, I do it when I didn't have like family around. And so I have like a spreadsheet. I had the spreadsheet that's I'm keeping track of every single experience, how much I'm taking. Yeah. Do yada, mushrooms yada, yada. and don't get anywhere close to people you love. Yeah. And it's all, yeah. all very low doses, like super low doses. This is not like going on a trip doses. It's like giving you a little bit of a high. So very light mm-hmm. stuff. And I did a microdose last summer while I was having, I was having some kind of negative meditation experiences at the same time. And it's kind of like those two things kind of interacted. Um, yeah. And I ended up, um, I did this dose and I'm like, okay, I could feel it kind of coming up. And then I could just feel like this anxiety coming on and like, oh, okay, this doesn't feel good. And what well, is that? Can I ask you, is, was that, was it anxiety? Like what the negative experience of meditation was? Yeah, that's uh so yeah, let me describe that a little bit more. And I apologize. Sorry. If, sorry if, oh yeah. I mean, oh yeah, you've already went into detail on this. But it's okay. I'll, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll describe it again. Maybe I'll describe it better. Sometimes you tell these things multiple times and, and you're able to kind of like work through the story better. And also I don't assume that everyone's going to listen to every episode that, <laughs> that listens to this podcast. Um, but yeah, I had the, the basic arc for me was that, um, I had had this big high for meditation at a retreat, like this big, like peak experience felt like my meditation, my depression was gone after that experience. And that I ended up having this euphoric experience where just, and it was, it was kind of this equanimous state 
to that that put me into where just nothing bothered me. And that that went on for about two months, two or three months where it slowly faded away. It was very, very strong. Like I had I had some days, I remember during that period, everything was great. And I would have a, a day where something went wrong and something went, like felt crappy. And it would just be like the shock to me, like, oh my gosh, I don't, this is bothering. Like anything that, something that bothered me was like surprising to me just because I felt so good and okay about everything all the time during that period. Mm-hmm. And that kind of slowly faded away. And my practice kind of went into this phase where it just was kind of like, it was hard to kind of settle my mind and I was feeling kind of irritable and stuff. And I decided to start um, focusing on concentration practice, which I was doing, I was mm-hmm. doing what's called like a, within the category of like Vipassana, which Vipassana is like, it's more about investigating this, like your experience from moment to moment. Like yeah. the, the standard Vipassana practice, well, body scans is a big one. That's where you like are scanning your body over and over. The other one is noting and noting is just like where you're labeling your experience from moment to moment. So it's like, okay. What you're labeling it. So it's like, you're that, like, that's your way of like recognizing your thoughts or whatever. Yeah. That's the practice. And it's not just thoughts. I mean, thoughts can be included in that. So, but you're going to, you're going to label everything you're experienced, just like a, a stream of like labeling. So it's like, you're, you feel a sensation in the hands and you're like, okay, sensation. You feel like a coolness someplace, coolness, you know, it can be, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm listening, you know, you're just labeling whatever it comes into your attention and it becomes this mm-hmm. stream where you're just like, you know, thinking, feeling, coolness, itch, irritation, tiredness, ache. And it just kind of goes on like that. Yeah. You're just labeling. Yeah, you yeah. It can get really, really fast. Like you just start labeling really, really fast. It can slow down. There's lots of different versions of it. That's kind of the practice I was doing sure. when things were just feeling kind of like icky and irritable and stuff like that and restless. And so I started to do concentration practice where in concentration practice is just like focusing on the breath. So I was doing focusing on the breath, but as I was also doing like uh, meta, which is like you are repeating phrases um, that kind of uh, cultivate positive feelings. So you're repeating these phrases of like love, like may mm-hmm. I be well, may I be happy, may I have peace. You just kind of repeat that over and over and over again. And it start, you, just, yeah. you focus on this good feeling. This good feeling starts to emerge and you just feel this like, love or whatever and then breath is similar where you just you just focus on the breath you focus on your mind kind of going quiet and then over time your mind gets really really quiet your attention on the breath gets stronger and you start just having these very very pleasant experiences and i just focused on that for about two months and my concentration got got pretty strong after doing like an hour a day for two months my concentration mm-hmm. got pretty strong after I did that. And when I came back, I started doing noting again. And mm-hmm. when I started doing noting, everything just like, just like st- was on fire, like sensations. It was just very, very sustainable, very pleasurable. It's like it increased, um, like the sens- sensitivity of all my sensory perceptions. Mm-hmm. So it's probably similar to doing, doing, I mean, we'll get to, we can talk about your, Definitely psychedelic experience soon, but yeah, it's, it caused this kind of hyper arousal is how I think about it now. 
where the visual field was just like very rich and it's just like, wow, this feels amazing. Like I could just feel all these sensations throughout my body. Um, and so it was a very euphoric feeling. And so I went through this period where I was having all these highs when I was meditating and like uh, one, one experience in particular, I was in my backyard and it was just like the colors were intense and everything was like, vi and again, this is, this is without any drugs. This is all just with like meditation, right? Yeah. I remember having this experience where I'm sitting in my backyard and I just like s sit back and I look up in the sky and I just said the sky just like blew me away. It's just the depth of the sky it just seemed to like go on forever and the clouds. And I was just like tripping, looking up at the sky and this was during a noting practice. Yeah, this is during noting. Oh, this okay. is this is actually after. So I, I did oh, okay. a, a session of noting, and then I just went out and sat on the backyard, and my mind was oh, just my mind was totally quiet. Like the mind quieted down, and I was just like soaking in all the sensory information. Like that happens sometimes when you when you meditate. This you get this kind of like momentum going, and then after mm -hmm. a while, you don't have to do anything. It's just like your mind is quiet, and the mind is meditating by itself almost. So it's kind yeah. of one of those moments. And then, uh, so I had that, this amazing experience and I had a few experiences like that. And then after this particular one, I was, uh, I was like making a log as I was writing this log and I'm just like, wow, I'm just like, feel like I've got fire shooting on my fingertips. It's this really, in, all these really intense feelings. And then I started having, as I'm writing this log, I, for the first time, I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I doing to my mind? Like, this is like intense. And that was my first like moment of like kind of anxiety about how things were going. Mm -hmm. And then that night I had this crazy, like apocalyptic dream where it was just like um, mushroom clouds. And it was just like, it was, it was the first time I've had scary dreams before, but I've never had scary dreams that were like apocalyptic as far as like yeah. the world is ending. And I just woke yeah. up from that dream and just like sweat and just, I was just completely terrified. And that was kind of the beginning of, of, so I had this big high and then I kind of had this big crash that kind of went for a few months through the summer. And it was just, it was punctuated by moments. It wasn't like I was just, I felt shitty all the time. It was just mm -hmm. like, I would be kind of fine. And then I would have just this like, like a really bad experience. And so one of these, and one of these occasions I had taken this microdose and then I just started feeling this anxiety coming on. And it kept getting worse. And I just told my wife, like, hey, I'm I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't expect this. I've got this anxiety coming up. I'm going to go just, like, lock myself in the room. Yeah. So I go into my room, and it gets it keeps getting worse and worse. I like, took a shower to try to, like, calm myself down. And it just felt like – it felt like uh, fingernails on the chalkboard, that kind of feeling, but, like, just, like, all through my body. Like, my yeah. whole body was just, like – and I couldn't escape it. And I ended up – on on my bed just like having these convulsions like it started like wow. causing these convulsions where i was like shaking and like my core would like kind of contract and i was like punching in the air and stuff <laughs> like it was really it was really yeah. weird and um so that happened and i was like okay i guess i shouldn't take mushrooms like i didn't quite make the connection between meditation uh -huh. and i was continuing my practice and a few weeks later without mushrooms the same thing happened where I just this mm -hmm. anxiety came up and i went to the room and just started having convulsions again um do you think it's like blood pressure stuff that like gives you convulsions like where it's just like you're you're like sending way too much like blood into the your frontal cortex or oh, something with like this or 
No, no, I, I've, I've read, there's, there's a little bit of science about that. That's kind of why I talk about the hyper arousal is because it, I subsequently, I found there's this organization called Cheetah House that looks at adverse meditation effects. Mm-hmm. And um, they talk about this, this process of hyper arousal. The one thing mm-hmm. that can happen with meditation is that you, you make yourself so sensitive to like perceptual stuff, right? Hyper, you, you, you're, because you're quieting everything else down so much that mm-hmm. causes this feedback where your body st- becomes super hypersensitive to, to um, uh, whatever sensations. And so then when you yeah. have negative sensations, then it's like, oh shit, because this really it kind of overwhelms you. Um, so I guess to wrap it up, I mean, I ended up having, um, like some really intense experiences. And then I, I like talked to my teacher and she's like, stop meditating for a while. And I stopped meditating and, um, kind of came back down to earth. But anyway, uh, was, yeah, yeah. I, I started, I did do some meditation in the last, uh, two years, okay. probably since the last time we talked to, do you know how long ago was we talked last it was last year. Like, it might have been a, almost a year ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I didn't stick with it for that long, probably a few months or something. Yeah. I feel like... Uh, how much I, How and, much were you doing and, and what were you doing? I'd be interested to know like what... You know, it was. I was doing way more casual and it yeah. was like 15 minutes okay. a day. Okay. And just like kind of paying attention to breath. and, and then, But then also just trying to recognize anything that I, that I couldn't keep from thinking, I guess, like just like anything that came, I would just try to appreciate it. And I felt like, uh, I, what was funny or to me, just like listening to what you were saying, it's like when I started doing that, like as a routine and everything, Uh it seemed like there, there was like this awareness that it felt like I was meditating all the time then hmm. I, I, I have you felt that way yeah. i guess so it yeah. sounds like you have yeah me like just because you're always like staying in that like aware state mm-hmm. and then uh after doing it for a few months um i started um fe- just like yeah feeling like i'd always have that with me like i was paying too much attention. And so then I just went the opposite <laughs> direction, like where I was like, I need to just drown out. Cause like, I don't understand the point of noticing. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, I was just like, I'm just going to like play podcasts every minute, mm-hmm. uh, play video games while listening to podcasts, like, uh, j- and just like, no, I don't know. Like I just went the opposite direction and just stopped doing it. Like, cause I was just like, it's so boring to me <laughs> um have you ever had that uh i mean i mean boredom definitely comes up with it but yeah there's also yeah. the sense of like um i mean it kind of strips away things and so you have to yeah. paying attention to to all this stuff underneath that you normally we have all these ways we've like learned to to not have to deal with like difficult stuff that's underneath and yeah. it's like you're kind of taking that away and so it's then like, okay, so what do you do with all that dis- uh, that uncomfortable stuff that's underneath? Sure. And you have to figure out new ways to to work with that. And so that's um, that's a huge challenge. My like starting to meditate. I think uh, it was like during that first like sort of like time that I was doing just like 
way more casual meditation than yeah. you. I never had like a um, hyper awareness type yeah. things. Uh, but during that time, I is when I decided to take mushrooms the first time too, okay. and uh, and I like a crazy person decided mm -hmm. to mix medications okay. while doing mushrooms. Any, I've only done mushrooms twice and both times, like I accidentally smoked way too much weed <laughs> uh, each time. Okay. And, uh, and I totally went crazy at first. Like I was afraid to leave my apartment for hours. Mm -hmm. Wait, uh, you were by, really, were you totally by yourself the first time you did it? I, I am a, solo person yeah. I, it doesn't even sound tempting to me to do it around other people <laughs> but th but that's kind of crazy right like you wanted a guide and everything i think it makes sense to kind of have someone there to to make sure, sure. you don't jump off a bridge or something to i was to kind of bring you back to reality and stuff like that you know what's crazy uh i said i think i've said do you know what's crazy four times yeah. already and i've said nothing crazy yet so i should stop <laughs> using that phrase um but uh no i did it by myself and then i was like i waited like 45 minutes and this is over a year ago so yeah like i could remember very little um or not very little but just i don't remember everything yeah um but like I waited like 45 minutes and nothing was happening at all. I couldn't feel anything. And I was just like, the internet's not helping me understand this <laughs> well enough. And, uh, and I like just wasn't feeling anything. And then I was like, I should just see if marijuana helps. And mm -hmm. I was just going to do like a little bit, but then I think, I don't know, like, I don't know how subconscious it was because this has happened. This happened both times I did it though. Uh -huh. But like I ended up doing 10 times more than I usually do. And, uh, and then immediately the effects of both of those together kicked in. Yeah. And I don't know if this is, you've you, done you mushrooms. Said, you said you did about three okay. grams. You think three grams of mushrooms. The first time, this first time that I'm talking about, it was probably more like one. gram. One. It okay. was, it okay. was, uh, it was not very much like I was not trying to be too crazy, but yeah. I definitely had an experience. Okay. Um, and, uh, let me think. Um, but so, so for me, I felt like I went completely crazy and this is while I was doing meditation practice stuff. Yeah. And so I actually decided, I was like, I don't want to, uh, feel crazy and I want to feel like I can, con am in control. So tell me, so I tell me yeah, what was it about the experience that made you, you keep saying I felt crazy. What was it about the experience yeah. that made you feel crazy? Oh, sure. Um, I want some, well, I want the G felt, details. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, sure. I feel like it's like I was coming out of myself, right. And mm. seeing what I felt like I really was or how I would view myself if I wasn't myself. Right. Yeah. And I decided like, oh man, your whole life is a joke and you're a joke. And, and I think that about everything actually. Yeah. So it's not like that big of a, it's not an accusation or anything. It's just like, what, what is this all? Right. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then you wonder, uh, like this fundamental question, what is the point of being alive now? And what's the point of this experience? And what's the point of doing it tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And so you like question your very, I like, yeah, like just basically suicidal thoughts. Right. Yeah. Uh, and nobody turned me into anything. I like actually very happy to be alive, <laughs> but I think about suicide 
every day though. Yeah. Um, like in a uh, conceptual way. Conceptually. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like, like I'm reading, uh, Camus right now. Yeah. And he, he says that, uh, is he the one that says it's the only question that matters? Or is that another? He says something like that. It's the only question that matters. Yeah. But he also says that like, that's like the fundamental question, like where it's like nothing else matters until you get past whether you should decide to want to continue or not. Yeah. I think think that's that's fair. That's a big, that's like a big question. I think it's all about that. But it's mm-hmm. also about, I mean, so many people are just kind of in this nowhere zone where they aren't really answering that question of, it's like, it gets back to like the line from, uh, uh, what is it? Um, the prison movie where, what's his name, escapes from? Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption. Redemption. Yeah, sure. Shawshank Tim Redemption. Robbins. He says, get busy living or get busy dying. And answer- that philosophy is everywhere too. Yeah. And I feel it's basically it. like the whole point of life. And this is like, I think about spirituality, like spirituality is like a really controversial to- term, but I think mm-hmm. that's really like, that's what spirituality is about is answering that question definitively is like, is this worth it? Yeah. You know, is it worth it? it is it worth living? Then like, then like, yeah, then, then live, you know? Yeah. But so many people are just kind of like, they're not even answering the question. They're kind of miserable. They're waiting for something to happen, you know? I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, no, sure. And uh, you were you were saying something like adjacent to this, and so I just wanted to say it clearly. Though, is that I felt like for me, everything is mental. Hmm. Like when it comes down to psychedelics and stuff, and so to me, it is like hyper meditation, or it's like sure. tapping into like that deep part of meditation. Yeah, uh, like the high, like the awareness that you're describing, or the like. I was trying. I was saying this earlier. Like, uh, cause I, you still, rem- I still remember this moment. So I was trying to just go on a walk outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was during your first, af- your first experience. First, first time after I, yeah, yeah. Like, but, but first thing first, I had to like, look at myself in the mirror, except that whether I, I, that this is the thing that I am mm-hmm. and that, uh, that looks like a joke to me, mm-hmm. but uh, I need to decide whether I want to be alive or not be alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I decided that I wanted to be alive. Um, and I was laughing hysterically for hours too. Um, it, it, it's all kind of crazy, but I actually like, while he's looking in the mirror, like once I decided I wanted to be alive, I was like, okay, then I need to like figure things out for a second. And so I actually did 15 minutes of meditation while I was on psychedelics and completely insane just to like center myself. Like I just wanted to know that if I, like I needed to let myself go to be alive, but I needed to first for me to understand that I could control myself if I did, uh, if things went too far or something. And I needed to do that all before I could um, leave my house even. Like I couldn't open the door. I could open the door. It's not like a Louis Bunel film or anything. Like I could, but like I would, just didn't want to. Yeah. Um, but then I realized also I had uh, a lot of obsessive compulsive patterns that I don't think I accepted before. Mm. Uh, in that moment, I, I think I really took a good look at myself and understood myself really well after feeling those ways 
And uh, the reason I knew that I had these obsessive compulsive things is every time I was about to leave, I thought of some other reason to stay and check off things. And then I had to create a song that made me feel comfortable enough to leave my house. I could teach it to you. It it just goes like this. It just says, all I need are my keys. (laughs) Because that's all you really need. That's true. (laughs) And... (laughs) And so then I made sure I had my keys and then I yeah. went out on this adventure and it felt like, cause I, to me, I don't know the way I contextualized it was like outside was living outside is like your potential death. Uh, and uh, I went outside and I went into the sunshine and like, I still remember the sun beaming down on me and then feeling it's like, I've never felt more alive than I do right now. Hmm. And, uh, and, and, uh, just when it comes to meditation or whatever, like it felt to me like this stupid revelation that I'm sure everyone has anytime they take mushrooms or whatever. Um, (laughs) uh, it felt like, um, I was noticing the difference between what I was like off of these drugs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and it just felt like I was turning the intensity of life up the vibrancy, like 20 times or something. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, it occurred to me, or at least I think that it occurred to me that, um, different people have different, uh, sort of matter of fact intensities of life. Right. Like, and I feel like mine's actually low. I feel like I live in a, uh, deprivation chamber like i don't even notice most things Mm -hmm. um and so when i'm on mushrooms it's like maybe it's just like what other people live like sometimes and you're able to tap into these things with just meditation i wasn't able to Um, i might not have tried so hard how long yeah how long were you meditating um you said a few months a few months so maybe like two or two or three i think probably at least three months but yeah. I didn't, I didn't ever keep a journal and you're doing like 15 minutes a day, but like, like how consistently mm-hmm. you're doing 15 minutes a day. It was every day. It was every I, day. I'm actually so, pretty good at routines. Yeah. I mean, doing, doing that level of meditate, like that's actually like a great way to start. a. Pro- I mean, I started at doing 15 minutes a day when I first started meditating mm-hmm. and it like increased five minutes here and there until I was doing like half an hour yeah. before I did my first retreat. And I just think it's, so it's just a matter of time. Like, yeah. like it's one of those things where it just, you need to have enough, enough hours of doing it before stuff really starts to like, you know, break open. Um, and I'm still, I still am, am pretty new at it and there's, there's a lot more places to go, but, uh, yeah, there's a couple of things, um, that I thought were interesting about what you were talking about that I feel like I relate to. And you can tell me if this is, is not, an accurate representation of, of your experience or not, but, um, yeah, let's hear it. or if it's interesting or not. Yeah. One is, um, I think, I think there's something that both psychedelics and meditation kind of reveal and it is, um, and that kind of, I think humans have to, this is kind of one of the problems we have to figure out with, with this problem of being alive is like, the truth is that we are utterly and completely vulnerable. You know, there's like, that's one of the realities is Mm -hmm. like, we could all die at any moment. We're far more fragile than we appreciate, but there's this paradox where 
we also need to like feel safe and it's like safety, a feeling of safety is still like very important to being a healthy human being. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I kind of, I kind of went through was like, I've had these experiences of feeling like, oh, geez, like I, I could die at any moment, like through meditation. But then Can I also ask one quick question just related yeah. to your uh, previous experience about your anxiety. I was yeah. actually thinking the same thing. Like, I'm wondering, like, when you were having anxiety when you're meditating, was there any yeah. physically, was there anything that was compromising your comfort or like, were you feeling sick in some ways? Like, was something no. wrong with your body in a way? It, it, just because, like, the, usually I link those things to anxiety for me. Oh, yeah. So I would say that my anxiety presented as itself physically. It mm -hmm. felt it felt physical more than anything. There's sometimes maybe there's this almost this subtle glassy sheen to everything when I have anxiety, um, where things feel a little bit, little bit like crisper, um, mm -hmm. and a little more like more like high contrast. But it was all like it was all physical. It was all like somatic, and that's why those kind of fingernail on the chalkboard feelings I was telling you about that was like when that was going through my body, just this like energy or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, that I could just, I was trying to like, just let it flow through me, but it's like, my body's not accustomed to that. And so my body's just like, you know, just like, <laughs> just going crazy. Um, but yeah, so there's that, but, um, what else was I going to say about, oh yeah, the other, uh, yeah, sorry. You were talking a little bit about like sense of self. And like this, this sense of, of like identity. And that's also the other big thing I think about those experiences and the practices of meditation. Um, I don't know if I have anything meaningful to say about that right now, but True. I mean, I, I, with both things you, you hear about like stories of the boundaries, boundaries between self and the rest of the world kind of dissolving. And at least from what I hear from other long-term practitioners over time, that that oh yeah oh yeah this is what i was going to say that that's i've heard it described this way that you talked about the intensity of the experience how everything was dialed up mm -hmm. and i've heard some people describe it that there's kind of a filter that we have normally and that filter is kind of the sense of self like our self kind of filters out um our sensory experience and some people describe meditation or kind of the results of meditation is you're, you're slowly kind of turning that off. And so it isn't so much that that dial's turning up. It's just that there's this filter that's kind of getting in the way of perceiving that our attention is so much wrapped up in this yeah. idea of self that we don't, we're not just not paying attention to. It's like you're breaking through layers of ego always. Yeah. And so like you remove some of those and then you feel like your safety net go away. <laughs> Yeah, and those things are connected too. It's like your 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 kind of the sense of self goes away, and it feels like this dial is turned up, but all that sensory information was already there. It's mm -hmm. just now that your your consciousness is like aware of it, or yeah. it's not being blocked out. But then also, yeah, it makes you feel completely like un unmoored. There's no like ground. You have yeah. no you know no self to like hold on to anymore. Um, so I think that's a big part of the experience is like learning to, and this is where I think this is, I think what you get from meditation that you may not necessarily get from psychedelics is you're practicing over and over again, kind of being in that place and kind of learning to get comfortable with that. Yeah. 
you know? And so eventually you can be like, okay with like yourself dissolving or, or whatever, something like that. (laughs) And I I feel like I'm kind of glad that I waited until I had some stability with meditation before I did Uh a lot of these things because, um, just, just cause like what you're saying, like, I feel like I was sort of comfortable, like dissolving my ego to some extent. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then just to tie this into Neanderthals, um, <laughs> uh, I just have this question was just cause, uh, to me, like it just, this, this is kind of a, um, non sequitur, but, and okay. it, we don't need to change the subject actually, but I was just I thinking about you. how much like, like language is like something that like we have these like vibrations or whatever. And like we intern these as English to each mm-hmm. other and stuff and we're like decoding this language and we understand each other and um it just seems like that's like there's a lot of like brain power that you don't that's like subconscious that you're doing to be able to do what we're doing here right mm-hmm. and i and this is just my question is do you think that neanderthals could understand english <laughs> Because, um, do you know what I mean? Don't, is like, don't, don't they think that Neanderthals uh, had language? I think that people suspect that they may have. I don't know that there's yeah. a way to know, though. But I think that you could suspect so because, like, they're like, uh, you so know, chimpanzees you, have primitive yeah. types of languages and stuff. I mean, you're saying, is it is it possible? I mean, it's definitely possible. Yeah, right? yeah. I think it's likely. I mean, the yeah. fact that there's there was so much interbreeding, too. I know I've got oh, yeah. Neanderthal. I didn't have Neanderthal DNA, so you've done your uh, oh, yeah. uh, twenty-one in me or whatever. Yeah, is it yeah. twenty-three in me? Probably twenty-three right? in me. How yeah. stupid do I sound right now? Twenty-one in me, completely idiotic. Like, can Moron. you drink alcohol? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you have any uh, follow-up questions or anything? I'll let you conduct the interview. Yeah, this is my <laughs> podcast, Jason. Yeah, please, I got it. No, no, I, I like the ask questions. It makes it interesting. Um, it gives me less work to do if you're asking questions. Yeah, you should be the one with the podcast. No, um, no, sir. Okay, so this is the first of two experiences. So I yeah. want to. I'm. I'm also interested in what was the like. Uh, what was the motivation to to do do these two trips? Like, what made you decide? Um, man, I don't think about my life that much. I think, like, <laughs> in the la- like, this is another thing. I, I don't want to like. Uh, I didn't get a diagnosis. I don't go to doctors very often. Yeah. But like, uh, I think that I might have some mild, uh, disorder of some kind. I don't even want okay. to put a name to it. And, uh, and so, so I think, but uh, basically I think I, I just don't have that much recollection of like the past or like, I feel like I'm really in the moment most of the time. Okay. Okay. And, uh. So like when asked to explain like why I thought of something or said something, I have no answers most okay. of the time. <laughs> and uh, so like, why did I do it? Like uh, it was like an opportunity, like, like uh, I, so, so uh, maybe I'll just start here. So I had never done any drugs, smoked a cigarette. I didn't drink alcohol until I was 24 and then I've really not gone into it or been drunk very many times because, uh, it, I don't know, like every time I drink a few beers, I'm just like, that's enough. (laughs) 
<laughs> and uh, so I never did any like smoked marijuana or anything. And then when I turned 35, um, nobody on the this official podcast, and so nobody will believe I'm over 35, but I promise <laughs> you that I had a 35th birthday. Um, and I smoked marijuana for the first time. And I remember writing on my hand, this is worthless because <laughs> I didn't want to forget that. <laughs> And um, it's like memento. You're like, you wake up. That was great. Oh, wait, hold on a second. I've got a note from, (laughs) I'm glad that you brought up a good movie uh, for once. No, you, you probably like good movies. Um, Sometimes, some, sometimes I like some bad movies too. I'm sure. um, Well, so, so, but anyway, so I smoked weed for the first time and it actually, I've only had good experiences with anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's all thanks to my second experience on mushrooms. <laughs> okay. Cause, uh, well, so, so the second, so the, first, so I don't know why I did it the first time. It was like, I had such a good experience with weed, I guess. Yeah. That it was just like, wow, I'm just happy all the time. Now, anytime I smoke this, I just tap into like laughing fits and, uh, creativity. Like I get obsessed yeah. with what I'm writing You've become, um, you've become a, uh, I mean, you didn't do it. When I first knew you, I remember you saying that like, oh yeah, I've never, I've never smoked yeah. weed or whatever. And you, I remember when you started and that's become, it's become more of a regular thing for you now, right? Um, yeah, actually, like I was telling you about side effects from the second dose of vaccine. So I yeah. kind of stopped smoking weed because I started having what I think are heart problems. Yeah. And, uh, and it like, when I, I, and this is why I was asking you the previous question about, um, did you have any physical ailments that added to yeah. your anxiety? But like okay. once I started having like physical maladies, when I started smoking weed, it started triggering like what felt like high blood pressure assaults kind of that, okay. uh, made my heart race. And I was already having mild heart problems. And so, so I felt like it was linked to my breathing problems and stuff like that, that I'd started hmm. having. Um, and so I've now not been doing anything. I've been, uh, sober in every way. Okay. Uh, and not even exercising, just a little exercise. This okay. Much. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, but, oh yeah, but I, I, I love it though. I, I'll never say that I hate weed. Okay. Um, it's the best thing ever. Okay, good. And, so you have a reason. At least you've answered that question of is life worth living as long yeah. as as long as you got some weed. Health health is first and foremost. So, hmm. um, so as long as it doesn't feel like I'm hurting myself, I like doing it. Um, but then, the, so then uh, somebody, I think uh, I'm not naming names here or anything, but just somebody said like, hey, like we have some mushrooms. Like, uh, do you want some? And then I like, they're like, you should just try it. Cause it would be fun. And then I just feel like, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm indestructible or something. And that's mm-hmm. why, so I decided both times to do mushrooms without any supervision. And I've been reckless. Like I'll just like get, um, think about suicide, not even turn away from it. It's just like, you just look in the eye, you're, you look yourself in the mirror and just say, it's like, I'm thinking about this and like, I'm picturing it and like, how could I do it? <laughs> Yeah. but I don't want to. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so, so it was just reckless and recklessness. 
And then okay. the second time I had already felt like it was like, Oh, I had this experience. It was a super positive experience. I think it was like life affirming. I feel like I the first felt, time was, yeah. Like, cause yeah. man, I didn't tell you this about the first experience, but I called our mutual friend, Derek Hunter. So he knew mm-hmm. that I did it and he didn't try to stop me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew, he knew you were going to do mushrooms beforehand or he knew you were going to call you and didn't. He answered the phone. I, that's all I could say for certain. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I called him while I was on mushrooms though. Yeah. And, okay. uh, man, every single thing that he said, like we were probably arguing about something, but mm-hmm. everything felt more and more perfect. Like everything in the universe was more aligned. Mm-hmm. The more, things happened is mm-hmm. how I felt. It was just like, it felt magical. Uh, and then, so then the next time I was just like, okay, I've had this really positive experience. It was like probably four months away from each other. Like I never, I didn't go right back to it or anything. Mm-hmm. And I just said like, let's just see what else is there. Let's see what's the second time is like. And I took, uh, a bigger dose, like I think probably three times as much. Yeah. And cause the first time I didn't have any sort of, vi- uh, visual, uh, stimulation or changes or anything. And I, I feel like so many people tell you about that component of it. And so I felt like it, maybe in some ways, even though I had such a positive experience that maybe I was missing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, so this next time I took far more, like three times as much I did, um, well, yeah. And then I just went and then I smoked 10 times more weed than I usually <laughs> smoke. And then I, and to make it more fun and may, I hope this is interesting to anyone, but like yeah. I, I actually had like a re- recorder and mm-hmm. I decided I was like, I should just record everything I say during my mushroom trip because I just want to see what I say or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, I haven't listened to the recording at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I set up a recording. I started like a hot bath. I took a ton of mushrooms. I smoked some weed and then I, uh, just was seeing what was there and, uh, felt like I went insane again. I didn't have any sort of negative suicidal, like introspective thoughts this time. Uh, again, again, when it was like saying you're going to going insane is it again, kind of feeling like you're looking at yourself from the outside type, type of feeling. Is that that man, type of thing? Or? This time it was like when I closed my eyes, it was like, mm-hmm. I was looking through like the 16th cathedral or something like where it okay. was just like vivid imagery, like these like staircases that are like spiraling. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and then I had this recorder, which totally ruined my experience <laughs> because, because <laughs> then it's like, it was like a show that I was doing. Like I knew it was there every instance. Cause I never, I didn't dissolve it. I, yeah, I was performing and to me it's hilarious, but maybe it's not, but like, it was just like, for me, it was just like, I was yelling things. Like I was yelling things like, um, the fantasy is more important than your life. And uh, which means a lot to me, actually, hmm. um, just because it does seem like what we're doing is such a performance. <laughs> hmm. yeah. um, and like, what's your ego? What's persona? Um, and, 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 but then 
after that, like, um, I was yelling like what I could see, like when I closed my eyes and stuff, it was all a performance. But then I started just like, I guess I thought what the next funniest thing was, was to just keep pretending like I was killing myself on the podcast. It's just like, I'm just going to drown myself now. (laughs) I call it a podcast, but nobody could hear it. I haven't even heard it. Um, and, uh, but then I got out of the tub eventually. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I started, I was going to listen to music. I was like, that's because the guidance I got the first time I took drugs was just like, just do it and then watch cartoons. Yeah. And I don't like cartoons that much though. Yeah. Um, so, so I decided I was, I would listen to Jedi mind tricks Okay. and I got into this, like, just like intro song and it just has this religious minister or something he's like this like uh just about like the author of the bible type stuff and is Mm -hmm. like this is heaven and uh god made the light and god made and then uh the darkness or something like this Mm -hmm. and i listened to this on repeat for like an hour and a half or something and it just kept meaning more and more to me like this idea of uh just the the lead singer completely embraces the dark parts of life or the dark aspects of life or like Mm -hmm. the darkness. And it just, uh, I guess like occurred to me, it's like, why do we only like what's good thing about life? Like just life is all of these things. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and then I don't know, I feel like this is so boring to say, but it's like just so transformative to me since then. Like, it's like so hard to make me sad in any way. Like, I just feel like everything about life is just spectacular now. But and that's like months and months ago. But maybe I'll feel like you do one day. <laughs> just, <laughs> um, I think. And then I went sh- and then I went shopping while I was on mushrooms. And then uh, and then I came down like, like grocery shopping. Yeah, I just did my grocery shopping. I was running errands. Uh, I walked awesome. to the store, though. Yeah. So that was a pretty long-term like effect then. I know people have, have talked about how like like you do psychedelics and I know they've talked about it as like an intervention for depression and stuff. Yeah. And they talk about how people will do it and it's like half a year or longer that has yeah. effects. And then it's like, yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I wonder if it was been more than a year ago since we recorded that podcast because I feel like it's even been... It's probably been more than that because it was in it was in the spring yeah. of last year, actually. I think. Sure. I started. Yeah, it just seems like it's been almost a year since that last experience I had, even. Mm. Um, and I haven't even yeah. thought about going back or doing more. It just seems to me like just the same thing I told you. Like I wrote on my hand, like this just seems worthless in some ways. Um, well, last last I... time you wrote that on your hand, you ended up starting a lifelong habit of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, like, but I've never forgotten though it does still seem worthless though like because everything's great (laughs) um but i don't know i have to for apologize to everyone i didn't do a good enough job explaining anything i thought that was great thanks brandon Brandon you're the only one i hate you guys (laughs) not you (laughs) just everyone else yeah um so Um, since then you've been feeling pretty good about life I was actually feeling good about life before then. I lo- I love my life. Yeah. Um, Has that but, been a recent change of of loving life? Or a, a, no, man. Least... Like I'm saying, it's like I feel like. Uh, Have you always felt that way? 
Yeah, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I I've like and and I started like. Do you know who Patrice O'Neill is? Yeah. Uh, have you ever listened to any him him on the radio or anything? I've I've watched like a couple clips of him. That's it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, like I listen to his like podcast and everything, and he just has this like sort of like. Hasn't he passed away? Yeah, he died when he was 43 in like 2011. Okay, so like 10 years ago, I think. Yeah. Um, but I still, I like, I don't know, like since the coronavirus and the quarantine and stuff, like I've just been isolating so much and I realized that a lot of the art you consume so often like has to do with like socializing with other people that read the same thing as you or watch the same thing as you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and because I've been, uh, you, like there are just not as many communities like we don't get together with uh draw night anymore or anything like that yeah um i've found that i've just been doing things that are older and not been uh you know a kind of a participant of like current media or movies or music or anything and so, so, so listening to a 10 year old radio show seemed like a good idea and mm -hmm. uh any anyway patrice o'neill like he he just like he, he was like this kind of really overweight comedian mm -hmm. and just at different times he talks about his life. But one of the, what I, I, I can't do it. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically just says like, um, you're always yourself. And so you have to love yourself. <laughs> like that's yeah. the initial state. And, uh, I, I really like obeying that principle. Like where it, it, it of just like loving yourself always. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess another thing to that is just like, I think that that also means like forgiving yourself constantly. So like, so um, I don't know, like maybe you just said a stupid story on a podcast or something, but then like, <laughs> but you're just, that's in the past though. And you're like you right now. And so the first thing to do is just forgive yourself for what happened before, no matter how stupid it sounded. Hmm. I think. What do you think? Uh, I think that's. I think it's a pretty healthy way to live. Yeah. I don't think I ever knew that about you. Has that been how you felt for quite a long time, or, or do you think there was a point in your life where you kind of like came to realize that, or decided to 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 do that? I, I think that. I mean, like I said, like I think articulating it the way I just did um, mm -hmm. is has been more recent, hmm. but. I, I don't know. I, I feel like when I was a kid, I was just oblivious um, for 28 years. I get myself being a kid. Mm -hmm. And then, and then since then I've just been fine with myself. Things are great. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you mean when you say oblivious? Um, what does that mean? I don't like, I just, I think I just felt, I think I felt young I just like, I guess I do look back sometimes and just think like, I just always felt like motivated and happy and satisfied without questioning really what I was doing. Like, hmm. um, you know, you, you look back at art projects you'd worked on or something and, uh, you think like, Oh, this is utter shit. Like, how is that person so happy with working on this <laughs> or like this principle or like this writing or anything? I, I, I actually, um, 
I love all this stuff too, though. Like, uh, there, there's always something about anything I'm writing or working on that I like is a reason I loved it or was working on it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I don't know. I think, I guess all I'm saying is maybe I just felt like I'm like gaining reflection or something. Like it feels like I understand myself more and more as the, the older I get. I don't know. Uh, how do you feel about your past self or like, um, yeah. Well, so, but what you're saying is in both phases though, you, you're maybe more oblivious, but also kind of basically happy with life. And then you become more aware, but still basically happy with life. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's true. I, I think like I was like possible, like I was capable of being sad at some yeah. points in my life, like where it's uh -huh. like you, um, you have, I don't know. Like, I, I guess, you know, you know what really changed me is like, yeah. uh, the, I, I was with a girl that I don't want to bring up or anything on the podcast. Yeah. No shout outs for her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, uh, and I think I felt like this is what love is and everything. Mm -hmm. And that went away. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, uh, just like regular mammal stupidity stuff, like where it was just like, just like, who does she think is better than me and everything. And actually yeah. I wrote a screenplay about this and the whole point of everything was just like, she's just like you <laughs> and you don't even know how to define your own life. And so like getting answers from her, isn't going to do you any good. And so, um, so it's just pointless to ask these questions <laughs> like uh, and just better to like focus on yourself and build yourself from. Hmm. So you've really never, and, you never felt like you've, you've gone through any periods of like depression or anything like that or. Um... Man. Not really. If, if you have a hard time like answering that question that the, the answer is probably no. <laughs> yeah. I just, I feel like, uh, well, and this is kind of what I was saying about that, um, song in that mushroom trip is yeah. just that like life is just like phases and it's like, there are good times and there are bad times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I just feel like embracing the whole thing and, forgiving yourself for like being in bad mind states and stuff like that. So I think I've like, I, I, I mean, I've said it many times. I've said it too many times. Like we're going to get flagged for saying suicide. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, but that's definitely, uh, so I've definitely been in mind states that are super negative. And uh, um, I was describing recently, like I was having, breathing problems and heart problems. And then mm. if I would, if, when I was smoking weed while I was in that state, mm. it was like um, really creative periods for me. Like I loved it because, man, I don't know, just life. It's like good to feel negative too, right? Sure. I don't know. I, mean, so I, it's, I can understand the idea behind that. It does. It's not something that, um, that is like, I necessarily, I, I don't, I don't know if I've gotten to that point where it's just like, yeah, I appreciate feeling negative. I, that's something I'm actually trying to learn to do. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I think, uh, <laughs> a lot of times I've had like shitty experiences in life 
and I'm trying to justify the experiences or, or whatever, unpleasant mind states, sensations, experiences, and I try to justify them conceptually yeah. where I'm like, oh, this is going to be good because it'll lead to something better or whatever. Yeah. But I think it's a lot harder thing. One thing I'm trying to practice with more is to be grateful for the things exactly as they are. You know, yeah. like there, you don't need some sort of like justification. Like I'm growing up Mormon. A big thing is like, you, there's this phrase from, a from the book. I think it's from the book of Mormon. You, it says like, you can't have the bitter without the sweet, or the sweet, or you can't have the sweet without the bitter. Yeah. It's like you, the whole reason there are, are difficult things in life is because the difficult things make the, the good things possible for you to experience the good things. But so there's a lot of justifications like that. Where it's like, oh, I'm going to do this because it's going to make this thing, I'm going to make, it's going to feel better later, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing that I think is interesting right now is to have gratitude for some sort of unpleasant experience um, exactly as it is. And not doing it conceptually, not being like, oh, this is good because, not, not creating a reason in your head. I think that's the problem is like, you have some sort of unpleasant experience and you try to try to create a reason in your head why it's okay. Instead of just like actually experiencing that thing fully and having like an attitude of like love or openness or gratitude to that, the actual experience. I mean, is that yeah. how you kind of feel about those things or that's I how I'm trying is, to approach him. I, yeah. I think that that is like kind of maybe how I describe it just like openness, um, like I, I like I'm bringing up like the saddest point in my life is like the biggest points of growth for me. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like realizing that too, I, I had an experience recently like that where I was, I was angry at someone and I was going to bed and just like, I was throwing this tantrum. I was having this tantrum and just like, yeah. I, my instinct was to just like beat up on myself for like, why are you throwing this tantrum? Like, why are you acting like a baby? Like, why are you so mature? But kind of the second thought was like, wait a second, this is like, this is a chance for me to like grow or this is a sign of something that's worth like looking at in my life that needs to be addressed. I don't know. Do you think of those things in that way or? Yeah. I mean, like I kind of try to um, segregate uh, patterns or something like you see, like what what is the you try to like answer the question. So you're capable of answering. Mm -hmm. I wrote this thing to a coworker the other day that might not be as profound as I want it to be or something, but yeah. it was just the idea. It's like the reason that you ask questions is the reason you don't deserve an answer because God has always been silent. Mm. <laughs> and th just the idea is, is that this is life right now. Right. Yeah. And the reason you're asking questions is because of the perimeters of your ego and mm. like your circumstance, your perception, the way it is right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but you, you never, but like there, we're just so uh, to me, so unimpressive in this universe. Like the universe is so great. There were mm -hmm. Neanderthals. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so then like, um, so it just seems like you don't even deserve an answer. It, mm -hmm. it, like, it, it's just this like anthropomorphic, like, cage that is getting you to performatively ask mammalian questions or whatever. Right. 
Yeah. And then, but then like no one you ever have known has talked to God in a way that you haven't. Um, yeah. And yeah, the universe is bigger than the planet earth and billions of years older. And the Bible was just written by men and the Bible's not even important (laughs) in my Mm. mind, except philosophically, maybe it is. Hmm. Sorry if that shits on all of your beliefs, Brandon. I'm sorry. No, I'm I don't just interested. I'm just interested yeah. in and what you have to say about yeah the Bible. It, I, I like Bible. you say. I think the whole thing that you say with God is silent. I think that's that's pretty interesting. Um, I think. I mean, there's there's like different ways to think about religious tradition, and there's like obviously there's like the literal interpretation of it. And it's like, oh yeah, like I was, I was joking with a friend about this yesterday while we were hiking and he was like, how did Moses collect like all the insects? Did he have like two of every insect? <laughs> He's just talking about something like <laughs> yeah. that, but, or sorry, Noah, not Moses, Noah. Yeah. yeah. Um, Might as well that, been Moses. <laughs> then there's like, no, then there's like the metaphorical take on it where it's like, okay, this, these stories all mean something, but they don't, they, they're pointing to something else. And then there's like this mystical experience of, of the mystical religion, which is like a direct experience. It's like what we're actually experiencing right now. And it's interesting reading people's accounts that, that talk about having like a direct experience of, of God, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which it's not either of those things. It is like this direct experience, but it's also not, I mean, clearly there are some people that have had, you know, beings appear to them which i know that's possible for people to experience through altered mind states you can you can experience all sorts of things you know i wrote this thing uh but maybe this isn't that interesting but it's just it's just ghosts are personifications of that which haunts us sure but and the only thing i mean by that is just that like sure people have things appear to them but um what were they yeah well i mean it that's a whole other inter- interesting question is like when people have what, whatever you want to call them hallucinations or they have, they have magical experiences, like thinking about what we're supposed to do with that. And, and, and there's kind of this, I mean, obviously there's the very scientific materialistic school of thought that's just like, Oh, that's just like be- going crazy. And maybe there's more we need to do with those things. But then there's this other, this other category of mystical experiences that is about like, um, I mean, I don't know this personally, but descriptions I've I've read of it are all about like the sense of like silence, like pervasive silence, this this sense of like being one with God, you know, and that like God pervades everything. And people use different words. Some people want to call that God. Some people want to call that something else. I know there's atheists that have like, you know, had mystical experiences that are exactly the same and they choose another yeah. word for it. Um I don't know. That's what came to my mind when you're talking about like God is silent. Yeah. That there's something to this idea of like, it's, it's, um, yeah. It just, I guess like to me, I just like picture somebody praying during like in Auschwitz or something like this and receiving mm-hmm. no answers. Mm-hmm. And then the entitlement of somebody in our circumstance, <laughs> like saying it's like, no, God, God says something to me or I get it or something yeah sure and it's just and it's just like but it's like no nothing like it's i i just don't think um that there's been like any 
magisterial answers given to anyone at any point in history mm-hmm. uh, that if there was a God that it would, he would be dead by now mm. <laughs> or just doesn't, hasn't appeared to us. I don't know. It's very boring. I'm just an atheist. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but um, I don't know if I could say, uh, th- this is a stupid other phrase I wrote just about meditation mm-hmm. that it means nothing. And no, everyone's going to hate me. I want to be pretentious guys. Uh, but it says you are not your thoughts. You're merely what you recognize about your thoughts. <laughs> um, and the only reason, the only thing I think about that is just like what, maybe while I'm meditating, just mm-hmm. that there's so many things you don't identify. Oh man. Ha, do you know who Robert Sapolsky is? I know the name. He's okay, like a neuroscientist, he, right? Or he's something like, a, like that. He's like a professor who's like a genetic biologist or something. Okay. But he, he has this, uh, I recommend this. It's like a YouTube uh, educational course or something. I think it's like 26 parts. And he mm-hmm. just is going through genetic biology. And um, I think in the very first course, though, he has this experiment he's run or people have run this experiment where they show people all these symbols like circles, squares, like and then circles that are symbols that we don't have names to give them. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, he shows you all these things or them, all these things. And then you're just asked to count how many of the things you saw. Right. And things that you don't already have like uh, a word for, you don't notice as many of them or you Ah, miscount them enormously. And, uh, and, and I just think that that concept in and of itself is very interesting because we're pattern detecting and so, like, think of all the stuff you missed just because the concepts are not already planted inside of you. That makes total sense. Yeah. Um, one, I wanted to bring up uh, just like this the show. I didn't know that I didn't know the name of the podcast when we mm-hmm. recorded the first episode. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted I wanted to just talk about art if if you still have time for yeah more conversation. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, this is definitely. Uh... I'm starting to go longer on these, on these episodes. So nice. As long I, as you're up for it, man. Uh, uh, I, I have to talk about art with you. Okay. I, like, well, so uh, like, have you, have you had, have you had any conversation with artists on this podcast? <laughs> just I have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, have have you, let me ask I just want to ask you if you've seen or read a few things just for my own reference. Have you read the idiot by Dostoevsky? No, I've not read that. Oh, okay, yeah. have you've seen the square? Because we watched it together. Yeah, we watched the square together. Yeah. Have you ever seen the film Yee Yee? No. By Edward Yang. No. Uh, okay, and then uh, and then we both have seen Andre Rublev together as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you've seen Birdman. Yes. And let me think of one. There's one. Other. Oh yeah. And then I watched Rifkin's Festival recently at Woody Allen's new film. Are you a fan okay. of Woody Allen at all? Not as much as you, but I definitely yeah. have enjoyed some of his some of his films. Uh, nobody's as big of a Woody Allen fan as me. The joke yeah. everyone makes on podcasts is like not not his film work, but just outside of that or something. <laughs> but I, that's not my joke, though. I that, like I wouldn't say that. I like his films. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so like. Um, there's this movie called Yee Yee, which I recommend to everyone. It's on the Criterion channel, Screaming. 
or mm-hmm. scre- streaming, stre- screaming, screaming, screaming to be streamed. <laughs> um, uh, and I just want to ruin the endings to all these films really quick. That's all. Um, but there's this boy in the movie. He's like a little boy. And he takes throughout the film, he's just taking pictures of the backs of people's heads. Mm. And uh, at the, towards the end of the film, somebody asks him, they're like, why are you why are you taking pictures of the backs of everyone's head? And he says, because I want to show people what they can't see. Mm. Right. And mm-hmm. I feel like that that is like one of the most profound ways to describe like what the purpose of art is. Mm-hmm. And for one, I just want to ask you what you think of that. Um, like, yeah, that's interesting. As an artist, yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, that's one thing that has been been. I keep coming back to over and over again is like, what's the purpose of art? How you define art? Um, like, what is an obviously like how to be an artist and like what is an artist? Um, I think that's kind of connected to something I've been thinking about lately. Um, I have this, I have this essay that I'm writing that I'm going to post soon about this topic. Yeah. But, um, part of it is the idea of the connected idea of, of doing things that haven't been done before. Mm -hmm. And this connects to, there's a writer named Samuel Berger that I was introduced to through, through Peter Lindbergh. Who's, mm-hmm. who's another another like writer, um, interesting thinker guy, and and he's he's kind of promoted this idea, and it's the idea of like the live player, which I think is related to 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 the like how I define art and being an artist, and that whole idea is like doing things that haven't been done before, like mm-hmm. like a live player is someone that does things that haven't been, hasn't been done before, a dead player is someone that follows, um follow some sort of script you're just following scripts right and that's and so oh, okay. i think yeah i see what you mean like it's just like you're kind of just doing just you know following following the program whatever and i think that's connected because to be able to do something that hasn't been done before you have to see things or uh, sorry see things that you can't see how did you say it again well uh, i mean like the i don't showing, even showing know people with, showing showing people what they i can't want to see. show people what they can't what see, they can't yeah. see or so what i think they that's part see. of it yeah, yeah. that um to be able to act like, I feel like that's, that's kind of like making art is about, well, it's not just doing what hasn't been done before. I think there is kind of like uh, some sort of value attached to it Yeah. because obviously you can, you can be creative and do things that haven't been done before and, and be like a psychopath and do that towards some sort of like, you know, selfish, destructive ends. Uh, but yeah, I was just going to say that, yeah, I think those things are connected. You have to, to be able to act, there has to be the possibility the possibility to act in a new way. And you can only do that by, by seeing new possibilities. Like that's, I'm not calling you out or anything, yeah. but like, don't, don't you think the definition that you're giving right now is sort of like social, right? Like, cause it's like, it's in reference to other artists and st- stuff like this, like where a work of art, like you don't, to me, it's like, you never know the context of an individual perceiving art right mm-hmm. and so to so so to like make reference to like what other thing you, you know like what somebody somebody something that somebody else hasn't done before seems mm-hmm. like really arbitrary to me is that is that a am i seeing what you're saying wrong well i mean it's all proven out it's not just it's like 
it's, I mean, there's kind of like a strategic quality to it. It, it, Like the effect, you can really judge that by the effect it has on the rest of the world. Like it doesn't have an effect that's kind of like, um, kind that is unexpected. Like is its effect unexpected and and novel and does it create unexpected effects that are like, that are objective effects? Like then, Uh, yeah, then it's, then it it fits that definition, you know, and there's kind of, it can be a strategic thing as, as far as like, you are able to make certain moves or affect certain results because you're doing things that haven't been done before because they're unexpected. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Not, not only that, but I think, I, I think I have heard about this research on people mm-hmm. with retrograde amnesia. Do you know what that okay. is? I explain that. So it's like people that could only record or they don't record short term or long term memories or anything so that they only have like, uh, a minute and 30 seconds of processing okay, or something sure. before they reset or whatever. Yeah. And so like, if you introduce yourself to one of them one day, mm-hmm. the next day they won't recognize you. Yeah. And so they have done these experiments with those people though, and that are really fascinating and I'm only kind of parroting what I've heard about them. But yeah. like the idea was, is that, um, in one, in one situation, they'll tell them a joke and uh, let's say it's a very funny joke and they'll laugh. And then the next day you'll tell them the same joke and they'll laugh less and less, even though they'll not have any memory of her hearing it any of the times. Right. So yeah. it's like, there's this like subconscious thing that's still working. It's like, don't laugh at that. Like you already know this, <laughs> like there's still like pattern oh, yeah. detection. Yeah. And then another way that they did this is that they had like a, like a light shock that they gave to these people like mm-hmm. just like monkeys they're doing experiments on these people <laughs> um <laughs> but like uh so what they Every, did they, they live in cages and they tell them oh you're just staying in here for a day <laughs> yeah, they while look- we do this and you're going to its great yeah. hotel tomorrow yeah they oh, let okay, them out okay. of their cage all day for these experiments <laughs> yeah um but then so what they did is they have like somebody go in there that um, that they weren't familiar with or whatever. And they'd say like, Hey, meet Brandon Dayton. And then when they went to shock their or shake their hands, like you would have like a shocker in your hand that would like give them like this negative, uh, you would hurt them slightly. Right. Yeah. And then the next day they would be like, Hey, here's Brandon Dayton. Like, do you know this guy? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, shake his hand. And they're like, I don't like this guy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And they wouldn't do it. Um, it, it just, it, do you see how you, that connects to what you were saying? Kind of like where it's just, you it's need not to novel. make something original or it becomes a novelty. Even if you don't recognize it, it's a novelty. Yeah. 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 yeah I think that does connect. I mean, that says yeah. interesting things about our, how the sub processing of our brain and how little we actually have control about what are, we're doing any moment. But, um, yeah, that's related. So, um, Okay. So yeah, did you have other, go on, what else you were? So I was talking to uh, Ryan Otley about the same concept, just to say what, to ask what he heard about, um, or what he thought about like that concept, the same Mm -hmm. as you, right? And I thought it was very interesting because I connect this concept metaphorically, sort of like uh, for, let's say, uh, projects that I work on. Like mm-hmm. what, what am I trying to show people that they can't see or something? Right. And it's like usually trying to identify like, um, 
a part of the human condition or something, right? And then describe yeah. it and say, it's like, hey, this is what life is like, right? Mm -hmm. Like, have you, but you'd never notice this. Yeah. But then Brian, uh, Ryan, Ryan Otley, though, when I gave him this, like he was saying, he was relating it to his art, right? Mm -hmm. And he's a comic book artist, if anyone doesn't know. Yeah. Um, and he, he was talking about how he does these pen sketches, right? Mm -hmm. And he ex sort of exaggerates dimensions and stuff. And he like uses his imagination to put things on pen and paper basically. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so that's sort of like the thing that people aren't seeing that he's showing people. Right. And so it's more like very physical. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just liked that we had these two completely different sort of definitions, but they kind of worked in the same way. We've both seen the film Andre Rublev. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do, have we talked about that? And not to say that this needs to be a critique on Andre Rublev. Oh, I'm sure we've talked about it. I mean, anything. we talked about it yeah, yeah. after, but yeah. Like, this this film was like we I watched it with you for the first time. Mm -hmm. That's the only time I've seen it. Um, but then, uh, do you remember how the film starts? Or uh, yes, it starts with there's a man trying to create a hot air balloon. Yeah, right. And he like jumps out a window, right? Jumps out a window and, onto this and hot. And there's lands. there's a bunch of people about ready to attack him as he's yeah. as he's creating this hot air balloon. And, and he's got, he's got like a little team that's helping him. Right. I forget then, if he has a team or not. I know yeah, they're all trying to help the window him and tries to and fly. All these people, though, right? Yeah. He tries to fly. He's like, he's like riding on top of the balloon and the balloon. Yeah. The balloon crashes. Right? And then, and then at the end of the film, like, or I think in the middle of the film, like there's some lines of dialogue that reflect like this kind of concept where it's like, um, being alive is to be a sinner kind of. Hmm. And I just, th this is just like one meaning I take out of that movie, which is just that like to create art, you have to jump out of windows, right? Like to be an adventure, yeah. you have to yeah. like put yourself out there. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there are a lot of movies I think that have this same theme have you seen Birdman? I, for, yeah, I yeah, think we I talked asked. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and I just feel like this movie has the exact same premise as Andre Rublev, mm -hmm. um, like where, um, if you remember Michael Keaton at the end, like he shoots himself in the face or something, and this is what turns him into Birdman. Yeah, and then he has to like jump out this window to see if he could fly, pretty much, right? Mm -hmm. And. Uh, Anyway, so so I just love that sort of premise for like like what it is to be an artist, right? Like how to be an artist is to jump out windows, right? And uh, yeah, can I, uh, I can I make a like suggestion of like add into why that's important, like why we need that? Yeah, I want to hear because I don't know if that's necessarily obvious. We say like, oh, you got to show people what they haven't seen. You have to jump out of windows. Um, and again, I think, I think this is about breaking, breaking us out of patterns, you mm -hmm. know, or breaking people out of scripts. I'm reading this book right now by, um, a neuroscientist named Mark Lewis. It's called the biology of desire. Okay. And he wrote a previous book called, uh, memoirs of an addicted brain that I'd like to, I'd like to read, but he's a neuroscientist, but he was also a, an addict, like all sorts of addictions when he was younger. And so he's talking about like addiction, his big thing is about like addiction and how he thinks about addiction. Um, and the way that he kind of frames addiction, I think this model is really shown in his his previous book because he doesn't talk about it quite so much in his current book. But he talks about this idea of reciprocal narrowing. 
And his whole idea is that addiction is this map is, is a process of feedback loops where mm. with each iteration of the feedback loop, your choices or your perceived choices, your perceived options narrow, it gets like smaller and smaller, right? Until you get to the point where it's like, because of the choices you're making, you, it's like, you're just in this loop where your whole life and your whole attention is just focused on, you feel this way, you go do this action, and then it puts you back in this other place and you just kind of repeat this loop, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like the most extreme form of addiction is it's all about like, oh, I'm just going gambling every day, right? Going gambling, okay. everything is about setting up my life so I can go gambling. And this is, it's this very, very extreme, like limited um, loop we get stuck in. But you can see that in all aspects of our lives that we get stuck in all sorts of little limiting loops. Like it doesn't have to be necessarily like addiction per se, but the way we do things in our society, the way the expectations we have personally, the expectations we have of, of each other, we're always getting stuck in these loops. And um, like the way I've kind of been thinking about it lately is that art is kind of the, the other end of the spectrum. It's like opening up and what you're talking about this, as far as like seeing what you can't be seen, jumping out of windows is about breaking out of these loops that op- opens up like possibilities for how we can do things. Yeah. You Does have to like, yeah, I, I, I could see that link. And um, like just the way that you asked the question at the beginning though, is like, put it in more context and Mm -hmm. I could, I think I could simplify like what it means to be an artist. That's it. it could, could, I think that there's risk involved in bearing your soul to people. Right. And so that this is a form of suicide, right? Like you're putting yourself out there because you could die out there. Like you're, and it also reflects how I felt on that mushroom trip about leaving my house or whatever. It's all Mm -hmm. like a form of, well, especially since like we're like, temporal so -hmm. like we exist right now and like we're different than when we started this podcast by far Mm -hmm. yeah um and um and so it's just like i don't know so so i just i like this saying um is suicide is at the start of every story um dude this is one of the this is actually one of the big themes of the podcast lately too has been like the importance of like metaphorical and i'm metaphorical death but accepting that like that death is a part of like personal progress. I mean, it's yeah. so funny we're talking about suicide, but just allowing parts of ourselves to die so new parts yeah. can be reborn. I mean, which is kind of a similar idea. These loops we get into, we feel like I can't give this thing up. This is me. I'm gonna like I and you know you let that part of yourself die, and then a new part of yourself can can kind of be born. Like those are kind of connected, right? Yeah, like there's this. My second book, like the theme of it was. Um, there, not the, it's just a redefinition, right? To watch something live mm-hmm. is also to watch it die. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I just think that like, we are like these creatures that so often like, and I wonder if this has to do with those like habit circles that we're talking mm-hmm. about and addiction and stuff like these comforts. Right. Yeah. Um, like where, like we want to accept life for the happiness is this, this goes back to like what you were saying about your own, like meditation and stuff like this too right um but then um well so so like we kind of like don't want to have negative thoughts or something right Mm -hmm. and it's like sort of this rejection even when you just recast it it's the same thing 
but mm -hmm. you're like den in denial of the version that seems negative or something, right? Mm -hmm. um, but both are true at the same time. And, uh, and so like to show somebody something they can't see is just reminding them that both definitions are true. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's, um, over my own head or something. Got to jump out of some windows some every once in a while. I think that's, I think, yeah, yeah. Um, have you ever seen, uh, the movie pain and glory? I don't think so. It's by Pe Pedro Almodovar. I just like ruining okay. the end of movies for people. Um, <laughs> I've general, I've general, I've watched go. a couple of it, two or three of his films. And Which I just, ones have you seen? Uh, let's see. I saw Julieta, I think it's oh. called, which is a more recent one. Oh yeah, I've seen that one. What uh, Life Flesh? Love it. Life Flesh. I don't. Yeah. I I don't get. I don't get him. Like I don't know it. what it is. I don't get it. Yeah. Like I just like I watch his movies and I'm like a bunch of stuff happened, but I don't. I don't get. I don't get the Jeez. whole point of it. I don't know why don't, it is. Yeah, but. sure. I think I think you should watch Pain and Glory anyway. Okay. Um, and the, the other one I love, but, um, maybe, maybe you wouldn't get it. You would get it. Cause this one, I think to me is like more visceral. Like it's just like good because it's good or whatever. But mm -hmm. like the one I, the one I love a lot is called, um, I think it's called the skin I live in. Have you okay. ever seen that one? Oh, yeah. Okay. El PLK. I, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah I, I, I remember it has a, a Spanish name. Um, pain and glory is like pain, kind of this like Abito, partial, it, yeah autobiography though mm -hmm. uh where he there's like antonio banderas like who was an actor who worked on all of his early films with him mm -hmm. but like stopped working with him for like decades or something like that for some mm -hmm. reason because of just like some animosity or like maybe like somebody didn't get enough credit or something like this but yeah. like they kind of have like so antonio banderas plays like a director in the film though and there's like this actor who's just like gone to drugs and stuff like this who was like his like star that won't work with him anymore is so it's sort of partially um autobiograph autobiographical but um just at the, they just like kind of like show or in the film to me, and I think they do show this, but like, it's just like, he's just like putting his own life into his art, right? Like this is what mm -hmm. art is, is just like pouring yourself into things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then they ask this question though. They say, um, how do you know if a man lived a good life or a bad life? And then, th and they answer the question, I think in a very satisfactory way though. And they just say, um, you just have to wait to see, right? <laughs> and it just me because we contain all these things, right? And that's just another way of saying what I'm saying, yeah. and, um, or the way the way I was saying before. That's maybe less confusing. It's a great movie, though. I recommend it highly. Um, uh, Pain and Glory. Pain and Glory. Um, if if you like, so, but you didn't like Live Flesh, though. It didn't um, do anything. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Sometimes it's like you just don't have the right. Yeah, you're just like not coming in with to with the right mindset. It just doesn't connect in the right way, you know. You're going to um, talk about the square too. There's yeah, something about the square that. Yeah, so like, do you like? Do you remember? Like, what do you do? You remember like kind of the concept of the square? Oh like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I just I just have been I just always think about that film now. Like, it's mm. one of the, my the most important films to me, and I like that guy's previous film. His name's. Ruben Ostlin. 
Yeah, the other and one was uh, the one about Force skiing. Majeure. One. Force yeah. Majeure, yeah. Both, I think both are very good. Yeah. Um, but but in the square, um, you have this concept of, like, it all takes place in an art museum. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have this empty box. And the concept of the square is that, um, you know, like, you, you, we're these stupid mammals, like we're just like chimps that make all these mistakes and everything. But mm-hmm. then if we put our minds together and make these agreements or like understand the rules of the game, like what, what to do inside the square, then mm-hmm. we could be better than that. Right. I guess uh, to me, like the square is like asking what we should really do in real life to be better than our monkey selves or whatever. Right. Yeah. One, I guess, like one way to relate it though is just uh, I still I talk to Alan quite a bit though, mm-hmm. and uh, and he he always makes this dichotomy that that I kind of think applies. So you're talking to... about Alan too? Oh yeah, I'm Alan, too. Alan too. I need yeah. to have him on the podcast. So I actually I, I did lunch with him a few weeks ago, but yeah, yeah. He I I love Alan. He's a great guy. Um, but he, he always just like, um, he has just this economy that he loves, which is just comparing people to children or adults kind of. Yeah. And I kind of, yeah, he, he talked about this when we were, when we, when sure. we got together. Can last. you remember anything that he said about it? Cause I, I sound like an idiot right now. No, no, no. It's, it's, uh, his whole, his, I think if I understand correctly is that, um, he's talking about like like childishness like that's yeah. the word he used with me like using childishness as a way to kind of like mm, oh, I'm, I'm he's he's gonna be upset i'm i'm gonna probably get it get it wrong yeah kind, kind of as a way to like measure how we are thinking about things i guess you know does that sound right it, i anything sounds right because i i mean i sound clueless but I, i'll just say that like i guess like i was just trying to map on his like kind of dichotomy to uh-huh. inside and outside the square right like yeah. where it's just like acting like you're a higher level mammal is to just yes. act like an adult and outside of the square is just acting like a child a child <laughs> no i think that's that's a i think that's an interesting way to think about things and I think it's worthwhile for us to think about things in that way that like, okay, maybe there is still some maturation. We all need to do both like in like individually, but also like collectively there's, we engage with a lot of life just kind of with this idea of this is the way things are and never considering that, like, you know, it could be that there's a lot more we need to, we need to figure there's some growing up that's, that needs to happen, that there's maturation that needs to happen, which I, I like that, that concept. And that's kind of, it's kind of one of the big ideas behind like metamodernism is, mm. is this idea that, that one kind of this next phase of, of, of change in the, in the world really needs to focus on like personal development. Um, yeah. you know, we get so focused on like leaders and leadership and like, geez, if we get, just get the right leader in place, that'll solve the problem. But leaders always become a reflection of, of their constituencies. You know, it's like you can change, you can, swap out as many leaders as you want, but they're, they're still leading the same populace and we're going to affect how they lead. We're going to pressure them to lead us in, in the way we want to be led. So at some point we all need to grow up in some way. We all need to develop into, into more mature human beings. Yeah. Um, man. So I, I think, think, yeah, I think I, that idea is like really interesting to me. 
I, I, I like how you're like, cause I was, I was just thinking myself, like, it's like, why am I even saying all this? Like, cause what, how does this map onto reality for me? Like where are people acting like children and where are people acting like adults and such? Mm -hmm. And for some reason, like I didn't make the connection to connect it to politics at all. <laughs> Yeah, but well, I feel like that's actually the perfect place. That's to the apply. biggest place. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's <laughs> everyone knows it too. Everyone's totally yeah. aware of it. That's see, that's a really good example because that's one of those areas where I think almost everyone is aware that we could be doing better. Mm -hmm. You know, but what yeah. I don't think people are aware of is that like the solution starts personally. Like, there's this really I, I heard this brief clip um, with Rick Doblin. Yeah. Uh, on Joe Rogan, did you ever listen to Rick Doblin? No, I've never heard. He's of like the lead guy behind like Maps, which is like this research group for like psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And he talks about this experience he had when he was on ketamine, and he had this like vision of like Hitler at like where did they have the big rallies? I can't remember where they had the big rallies. Germany. They'd have these, in Germany, some of them. They're having <laughs> these big rallies, and like he just had this feeling like if I could just get inside Hitler's Hitler's head, I could like change the course of 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 history. Mm -hmm. But then as he was, as he was kind of like sitting there observing things, he had noticed everyone like, you know, Hitler would do like the Heil Hitler and mm -hmm. everyone would do like the Heil Hitler back to him, you know? Yeah. And he started realizing that the Heil Hitler was a way of like transferring power. It's like yeah. everyone and everyone in the crowd is like giving their power to Hitler every time they do this Heil Hitler. Yeah. And he had this insight of, oh, it's not about changing Hitler. It's about changing everyone in the crowd. Yeah. Um, and I like that way of thinking about it is that we think politics are so absurd and immature, Yeah. but it starts with us totally changing our lives, becoming more mature individuals. Mm -hmm. And that will naturally ripple up to having actual mature leaders. Once we become the, the, you're saying all the stuff I forgot to say while I was talking about the square, cause it's just like, <laughs> okay. it's like, cause getting inside the square is like bettering yourself first right and then and that's kind of what happens in the yeah, movie yeah. right is it's just like mm -hmm. there's this interaction he's having with this this like kid where he's just being this total asshole to this kid and not yeah. taking responsibility for his actions totally. and kind of the end of the movie is just him taking responsibility and being sorry i can't remember what exactly the details of yeah. it but apologizing and making amends for that with and because yeah the whole movie is all these people having all these high-minded discussions Mm -hmm. about society and culture and art and then at the end it's just like him taking responsibility in, in his life and making amends with with this kid so um you're uh, you reminded me of this comic that i wanted to make a long time ago uh -huh. that is it, kind of a, another non sequitur or whatever mm -hmm. but it just has like you just i forgot all about adolf hitler Mm -hmm. at the beginning part of the conversation, but now that you brought him up, <laughs> um, but it was, it was just this idea. It was called quantum bleep. Okay. And the idea was, is like, there was this person that could go back in time, but they could only change history by touching things with their dick. <laughs> and so then like, but then, so, but then like, you just imagine like Hitler right before his like biggest speech or something. And if yeah. somebody just like, shove their dick right in his face, like right before he went out or something like, couldn't that change the course of history too? <laughs> like <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's what caused the problem in the first place. Oh Jason. yeah. Like me, <laughs> like they sent it, uh, history into 
uh, a spiral, a downward spiral. Yeah, Hitler had um, too much, too much dick. No, no, no. Yeah, I, w- I just, I was just going to ask you more about um, politics. I guess, like, is there anything that you're like? I just, yeah, I just like wonder your political alignment, kind of. I just want you to take a side. Okay, um, I kind of talked about this in my last podcast where I was with, oh, with okay. Chuck Chuck Marone. So that might kind of explain a lot of this, but I think I'll listen to it. I definitely, I think that one's a great one to listen to. I think he's fantastic. And the stuff he says about art was, was really cool. Um, Yeah. I kind of am like, I don't want to belong. I don't want to belong to any tribe. I know someone else said this actually, Alan quoted something by um, I'm forgetting his name. It's he's kind of one of these young, he's a young intellectual, uh, kind of more conservative black guy and I'm, and I'm blanking on his name. John McWhorter. No, not John McWhorter. No. John McWhorter is older. Oh, young um, Coleman Hughes. maybe. Coleman Hughes. Yeah. Coleman okay. Hughes. And he says something to, to the effect of like, I'm, I am, a, I want to be a member of the tribe that like, ah, I'm not going to say it right. That like, doesn't have, doesn't have like an enemy or something like that. I'm totally butchering it, but yeah. I just, I don't want to be part of, of any sort of tribe that, that feels like it's more righteous than some other, other group. Sure. You know, that's, so I like, I mean, in general, I don't really want to affiliate with any political party. Mm -hmm. And as far as my orientation goes to politics, like I want to focus like hyper local, like I kind of feel like this gets to meditation. Like my politics is meditation. My politics is like figuring out my own life and uh like my own mind and then it's like okay then it's figuring out my own home my own family like that's my politics right now and i I think this gets back to what we're talking about maturity yeah like i need to be a mature individual i need to be mature in my life and then it's about like relationships like like building mature relationships um and then i you know just just figure out how to make life work within my own community from there how Um, how is what is your social media presence like not not much not much most of almost most of what i do on social media is just like when i write something or when i have a podcast i'll I'll post something about it every once in a while i'll i'll post some thoughts on social media hey send uh, send me that essay when you write it oh i will yeah yeah okay cool um yeah i kind of the only reason i bring it up just because social media is interesting to me I've gotten off of it mainly. Yeah. Like I deleted yeah. Facebook years ago. Um, I like still have an Instagram account, but um, I, it's like, I don't, it's not like I, I it seems like I get some sort of, um, I'm not getting a boner by telling you that I'm not like super <laughs> active on social media or anything. Thanks a lot guys. Yeah, well, this is going to really throw off sending you back in time to interrupt Hitler. I, like, stopped uh, posting on Twitter, though. I just, like, uh, to me, it, I don't know why, but, like, just social media, like, any time I spend on there just feels like such a waste of my time, I guess. So getting back to this addiction stuff uh-huh. and feedback loops, I've been kind of obsessed with feedback loops lately. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of what happens on the internet is that it's, it, we, you, I like to look at it as a feedback loop. Like, mm-hmm. is it a feedback loop that is affecting me and my life in a way that's making my life better? Cause it's, there's definitely like a positive feedback loop in the sense of, you know, not, not as an, a value judgment, but as, as far as, you know, positive, it, it feeds on itself. You know, I go to social media 
it affects me in a certain way. And the way it affects me brings me back to social media. And it's mm-hmm. most of what happens on social media is unhealthy. It's this unhealthy feedback loop. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking a lot about like the internet as far as like what we really need to figure out with the internet is creating a feedback loop that makes us better people that when we use it, we leave. And this may sound so obvious, but um, it's, it only becomes more obvious when it actually starts to happen. Mm-hmm. But we need an internet where, and I think podcasting is one of those examples. Like podcasting is something that I, I do and I come back better for it. And that it brings me back to podcasting. So I, I'm really interested in seeing what things come after social media or maybe even how social media evolves, but that they can become these positive feedback loops Yeah, that are also positive. They're also like, <laughs> like generating positive, like making our lives better. Um, and there's, yeah, social media isn't doing that, isn't doing that right now, but I think there's a potential for, for, for the, there is a potential for the internet to, to do that in some way. Yeah. Like, I guess, or even just in limited, like there's like limited capacity to do it. I don't know. Like, do you have any constructive thoughts on like how to make social media productive for people that aren't? very reflective. I had this experience. I've been, I've been participating on this in this online community for the last little bit. I'm not going to mention it sure, because I don't know, like it's pretty new. And I, I mean, not that a lot of people from my podcast would end up going yeah. to it because I yeah. don't have that many listeners, but um, what's that? Nothing. <laughs> I was just saying it's like some, like, uh, well, no, I, I, I don't want to say what it is. Okay. But anyway, actually, so you don't know, but, um, the, the community is really focused on, they, they do like a lot of like events. So there are a lot of these like Zoom events that they'll organize. Okay. Um, and all the Zoom events have like certain, certain subjects or topics. So it isn't just a forum and you have like these Zoom events. So you're actually seeing people, you know, even though it's not in person, you're still seeing actual people and they're doing like, I've, I've done a couple of these events where you do like a practice that's called circling. Um, and, uh, I don't know a lot about it, so I'm, I can't explain it, but it is meant to be one of these practices that is, is supposed to be a more mature way for people to kind of engage with one another. And I, I really had that feeling. I, I just did this la- uh, two weeks ago doing one of these sessions a zoom call going through one of these practices. I just had kind of this feeling of like, oh, this is, this is like, the potential. This is kind of like what we wanted the internet to be. I'm, I'm here meeting with people from all over the world, you know, doing this practice that then could be like, I could learn how to do this practice here. And then that comes back to my real life. And I, I try it out in my real life, gain feedback from my real life that gets uploaded back to the internet and like, Oh, here's what I, you know, you have people from all over the world then uploading their best practice to, to the internet, updating kind of like our global knowledge base. And then we download it again into our like local lives. Um, can, you was, t- can you like say what a practice might be? Yeah. So this, in this, yeah. So something like um, in this case, like the practices, it's just like kind of a, a set of guidelines or, or a technique or a set of rules 
um, or set of instructions for just how how a, a certain group of people might engage with one another. Um, and these can either be like kind of norms for how they always engage, or it can be just uh, during a certain certain time period. So it can be like meditation, like meditation. I have certain techniques I do while I'm meditating. And mm -hmm. a practice can be something like an interpersonal practice can be something similar. Like you get together with a group of people and then you're interacting with each other uh, according to certain rules. I mean, like group therapy is kind of an example of that. That's like a practice, like an interpersonal practice. And there's lots of different versions of that. Um, there's things like empathy circles, um, like authentic relating is, is one, circling is another. And they're just kind of like these frameworks for how people interact with each other. And so you kind of practice literally practice like interacting with each other under these certain guidelines. And I don't know, there's still so much I don't know about it. And, and there's, I'm, I still can't really say like, Oh, here's the benefit of it. Or, you know, I just yeah. still really new to this Too stuff, new but to things. there's, I just, I'm just saying that because I got a sense of, Oh, this is potentially an alternative to this other way of interacting online. That is, that is like, I mean, one way of looking at social media is that, before we had all these pathologies that were contained by being kind of separated into these local communities yeah, and our little pathologies can be contained and they wouldn't really spread. But with social media, social media like amplifies certain, certain like human pathologies where suddenly these like these kind of personality disorders, these, these unhealthy ways of relating to each other, they just get amplified. Like, you know, it has this viral mm -hmm. quality to it. And it can just cause like disastrous results is suddenly we're shaming each other on this massive global scale that's yeah. just actually ch having huge consequences like destructive consequences you know it's huge polarization we see happening um you know distortions of information things like that so it's like oh yeah like we're scaling up these pathologies rather than can we scale up you know um like benevolence, can we scale yeah. up the best qualities of, of human beings while we like dampen, dampen our pathology. So this experience was kind of like this experience of like, oh, here's a potential way that I could see this happening through this kind of different way of doing things, you know? Yeah. I um, like it's, I'm like all ears for any ideas, like, cause it just seems like <laughs> I just don't see, I see almost no good, but like just, I'm thinking more about like the example of the square or whatever, yeah. like where, and just thinking of how you could apply that to like what's going on on the internet because, and I was thinking about Russian bots, right? Where, yeah. um, I like at first, like when you first, when I first heard about Russian bots, um, I, I was, I, I think like, uh, Oh no, this, this is a terrible thing. Like you're getting people to believe all these crazy things or something. Right. But then if you, you run into them at some point though. Right. And you say like, Oh wait, these people, these bots are just retweeting what other people in the country believe too already or whatever. Yeah. Right. And it's just yeah. like, sort of like, uh, it's amplifying what's already there, right? Amplifying what's already there. But then, yeah. But then the example or with the square or whatever, I guess I, like the idea, I think in some ways is like being an adult and like 
doing due diligence and not being convinced by bad information or whatever, but also holding people to that standard. Cause I feel like that's how you make things better. Right. Is yeah. like, you can't, I, I feel like politics, what I don't like about it is, uh, is that you're trying to get people's votes. And so you talk to the dumbest person in the room. Right. But, mm -hmm. but I feel like the only way to raise the bar for intelligence is to, talk to the most intelligent person in the room and then get people to raise their standards, not to, hmm. so does that make sense at all? Yeah. I, I mean, I conceptually, I kind of like the idea. I don't like using the words like the dumbest and the most intelligent yeah. because that's so context specific. Sure. 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 You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. 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 Um, I'm uh, yeah. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying there. Yeah. yeah. Right. Can, you could think like everyone imagine better words to use there. <laughs> <laughs> um because I mean, there definitely you are can just say the, the it's like we need it's more about engaging the best of ourselves rather than than the worst part of ourselves sure and there's definitely a lot of intelligent people out there that yeah. are acting like total infants that are yeah. just acting totally childish right but, but and you, idiotic you know, you know like, th this is what you were saying about the people with Hitler and everything, though, right? Yeah. Where it's just like you have to hold them to high standards, like uh, to not listen yeah. to the dictator well, or whatever, right? We all need to hold each other to, to high standards, right? It's like, yeah, right. I, I think that's a huge yeah, yeah. part of it. But I mean, it's it's about creating a context where that actually happens and mm -hmm. doesn't just turn into like shaming each other and attacking each other. Yeah, because I do I do agree with that that we need to be able to hold each other to high standards, but that requires more mature relationships. It requires us to trust each other enough that you and I, for example, could hold each other to high standards. Yeah, and instead of us weaponizing it and using it as a reason to like turn the other person into an em an enemy, we actually use it to like mutually increase our standards. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, well, there's so many people yelling about like science and like evidence, and you you, you know. But they're just using it to make other people look like idiots, you know, and to benefit mm -hmm. their own side. They aren't acting, they're like, they're not raising any standards by, by doing that. Does that, does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. Um, this, like, just where I asked you about politics and you, you gave your answer that, like, I, I mean, I like, um, basically, like, that's how I feel too. Yeah. Like, it's like useless to kind of affiliate, affiliate your something to like a set of ideals that, mm -hmm don't change um, relative to answers that you need sure. or something, right? So it's yeah. like if you have an ideology um, already and then the situation calls for different <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. answers, then that ideology is going to just be a hammer for the wrong tool for the situation, right? Sure. And in that way, I, I kind of view... Um, just political leanings as religions and like those doctrines as dogmas. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I feel right now too. Yeah. Yeah. And it really, and, but when you, I don't know. And then to me that it just makes me kind of like want to buy out of the whole system or whatever though. <laughs> and you kind of mentioned this and I just, I, I'm going to like, it's safe to shit on Hillary Clinton. Right. Um, sure. Just yeah. kidding. I don't. I don't need to. But no, no. It's just to me. It's just like, like it just seems like 
voters determine what she would say, right? So it's just sure. like gay marriage is bad until this many people agree with me and then it's good, and it's good. or something like this. Yeah. And uh, so it's like these are just – and you said this way earlier, but it's just like that those people are just like kind of like sounding boards for the voting majority or whatever. But then mm-hmm. they don't necessarily have ideas for themselves um, – and I don't know. It just seems like such a bad system to me. Um, yeah. I, I think one of the things that actually kind of gets me hope is that a lot of people I talk to are just mm-hmm. aware that, that what we're doing is just not working. Mm-hmm. I mean, and some, some people's responses are just not helpful. Some, I mean, some responses are just like, things aren't working, and so let's blow everything up, which obviously there's problems with that too and i do Mm -hmm. see other people that are aware of like okay things aren't working but we can't blow things up and being overreactive to this stuff isn't working and i'm just noticing there's a lot of people that are aware that we got to do something different yeah you know and that kind of gives me a little bit of hope like a lot of because there's a lot of there's a lot of cynicism when you hear it because people are just like oh man this isn't working but like the fact that so many people are aware it's not working like that's that's maybe a good sign, you know, <laughs> that's a good sign. Like, and actually, uh, this is just like, a. do you remember, like you came to like a book reading? I like, mm-hmm. I did like, uh, many years ago. Yeah. The, like that story, it had this, uh, sentence in it that it was like a concept, like where it was, it was just this, it was, um, those who sit the closest to the light are the first to go blind. Hmm. Right. And, um, I just like how that, or I, and it's like condemnation of religion though. And Hmm. I think political religion as well. And then what you're saying, and I think that it's sort of built into this concept though, is that the light's not a bad thing necessarily. It's sitting too close to it. Right. (laughs) And, and, and I feel like that that's sort of like, what you're describing those people of those people, right. Where it's like, they're getting away from it. So that's like, they're not losing sight of it, but then they're separating themselves for it. So that maybe there is some clarity or that you could use a light or something. Wait, say that again. I don't know if I'm following you there. Oh yeah. I don't think anyone's following me. No, I guess <laughs> like, so, so you were talking about this category of people that's, um, recognizing the problems oh, yeah, of yeah, the yeah, system okay. right, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. and i'm just saying that this is sort of like the people that are now like they're not sitting so close anymore yes yes as to be blinded themselves i like that metaphor a lot because it's yeah. like you do have to you have to kind of commit to some direction but mm-hmm. it is about just not not holding that too tightly and not turning that into the truth yeah and just saying like yeah we got to find a way forward and it's just, it's, we got to fi- figure out the best way for like yeah. the least, I, I mean, there's this, is this group called less wrong. Have you referred to like less wrong? I haven't heard it's, of it. It's, but... it's this group that's, I think it's part of like the rationalist movement, but they're kind of just like answering questions and, and figuring out policy is one way to think about it is just like, what's, what's the least wrong way to do things, mm-hmm. which gets yeah. you away from the dogma, right? Mm-hmm. Because it allows you to always, always recognize that any solution is imperfect. And so it's just like, what's, what's the least wrong solution that, that we can find um, for True. moving forward, right? Instead yeah. of the right solution, because the right solution, then you start contracting around that and protecting it. And it becomes this holy thing that you have to yeah. kill other people to protect, you know? Um, I was saying this about my own like psychology towards myself, 
But that mm. like just forgiveness is the first step though. Mm-hmm. But I just think that this is actually universal, right? Um, so, so that it applies to any relationship that you could be having. Cause mm-hmm. like if, when people don't forgive their spouse for something, they just become passive aggressive or something. Oh, it's sure. Just like, oh, Absolutely. Remember you fuck that guy or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just like, I, anyway, I just, I, I just think that that just is universal is all. And, um, uh, I, and I forget how it applied to what you were saying or i guess the less wrong movement i guess we were talking about yeah um i guess i i think i was just connecting it and just that i think um i don't know how i was connecting it it's like less wrong it just seemed like it was the same thing i don't know yeah (laughs) there's there's something there yeah 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 I, I called everyone idiots, but I'm I'm also an idiot. My, like, uh, <laughs> there, uh, maybe maybe the final thing I'll just bring up, like, because I like getting art projects wrong. Uh-huh. Um, you should you're gonna read the idiot someday, right? I think I'd like to. Yeah, I like Dostoevsky. And I uh, have you read which of his books? Have you just read? Brothers I did. Karamazov? I read Kar- Karamazov in high school. I read um, Crime and Punishment. Yeah, yeah. but. Brothers Karamazov, I have more of a affinity for because I think I was I was a little more ready for it. I don't think mm-hmm. I really was like ready for for crime and punishment in sure. high school. I wonder. Yeah. I I read the idiot. Um, probably, I mean, it's probably been two years ago now. I was thinking about mm-hmm. reading it again though. I liked it. It was the one that connected with me the most mm-hmm. of his books that I've read. Um, but in it, um they have this like sort of parable called the poor knight. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of this at all? Mm-mm. But it's this idea and um, where like what a knight does is it, he picks a princess, right? And he knows nothing, almost nothing about her. Mm-hmm. He, just that she's a princess or what he thinks is a princess. And then what the knight's duty is, is to protect the princess regardless of whether she's a whore or not. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or to break the spear, I think they say, <laughs> um, to protect her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the reason he's a poor knight is from the outside perspective. Like if, if you see somebody that's dying for a whore, um, it's just like how sad <laughs> that this yeah. person's duty held them into this position. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I think that uh, it felt clear enough to me in the book that he, that Dostoevsky's talking about um, people's opinions when he's talking about the metaphor of the poor knight, that we are poor knights, right? So we first like have the, it's actually kind of, to me, it's actually Dostoevsky being a hundred years ahead of his time and saying the exact same thing that's in Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind right? Hmm. Where he's saying, it's like, no, you, you explain, you rationalize, you have your lawyer say, Mm -hmm. um, uh, give you an, like a rationalization for what you've just already decided. Mm -hmm. You pick your princess or whatever. And then, and then you'll just keep defending that position because you don't want to be wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, anyway, Hmm. I think the book, the idiot is just really brilliant. So I was just going to tell you that. And and you read the idiot apparently. Yeah. There's a lot more to it too. Um, 
which I won't spoil necessarily, but like the main character, Prince Mishkin, highly likable. Hmm. Um, I think you might really like it. Okay, cool. I'll check it out, man. Um, well, I, I think we might have just broken a record for the longest episode of the yeah. podcast so far. I hope it's not the most boring, but... I have some really interesting stuff. Yeah. yeah. If anyone is still with us at this point, they deserve yeah. a medal. Thanks. But... For, yeah, thanks for talking to me, Brandon. I hope I... Uh... I hope everything went well enough. That was fantastic. You've been listening to How to Be an Artist. To support this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash H2BNA.